Hello and welcome to Talking to Leaders, the podcast where we extend the conversation around female entrepreneurship beyond the challenges and instead focus on positivity and the actions we can each take to drive change. I'm Katie Nagy-Nagy-Baxson, M&A partner at CMS. In today's episode, I'm talking to Felicia Mayerovitz singh co-founder and CEO of Oconi, about open finance, the gender data gap, and supporting other founders. Thank you for joining us today, Felicia. Thanks for having me, Katie. So Felicia, you're the co-founder and CEO of Oconi. Can you tell us a bit about Oconi, please? So Oconi is a digital cash platform that generates better returns with one point of access to multiple banks. Um, we work, we are FCA regulated. We work with a number of different banking partners like Barclays, Investec, Aldemore, or Boothnot, amongst others. And we specialize in the wealth sector, working with financial advisors and investment platforms to increase returns for their clients. At Leaders, we're all about positivity. That's one of our big areas of focus. So what are you feeling positive about at the moment? So for us, for me certainly, is there's a massive change in digital adoption in the market, in particular in the wealth sector, which is really impacts all of us because the wealth sector actually manages our retirement pensions money in workplace pensions, as well as if you have any investment portfolios or a financial advisor. So we see a rapid change happening um, post-COVID because more and more people recognize how critical it is to offer digital solutions and also to offer value for clients. So for us, cash has always been a neglected asset and we're seeing much more attention and scrutiny on it, which is very positive. And um, why do you think cash has been a neglected asset? What's the, the kind of history or the background behind that? Well, in the UK, I think we all know that the market is dominated by the four biggest banks who control 80% and historically provide little to no returns and no cash management tools, in particular in the personal finance market and personal savings. So what we're seeing that now we have challenger banks who are obviously paying way above the market rate, like currently our highest bank pays 40 times the big four banks. And what you need is to have a simple and easy to use solution. And obviously from our perspective, Oconi is that solution because we provided a very integrated tech-led solution. Um, we make it easy to find place savings because we regulated you just with that one access point, you have access to all our partner banks. And literally you can do everything online. There's no form filling. And as new banks and new products come on board, you get prompted as a user and a whole range of tools for our advisors to work with their clients. I mean, it's, it sounds fantastic. And, you know, th there's so much mystery around financial services, isn't there? So anything that makes that easier, yeah. um, particularly for, you know, really you know busy CEOs or CFOs who've, you know, got lots to do. If you've got a solution that's, that's simple, you know, that's got to be a winner, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And we think also in the wealth sector, which is really, again, the environment we're in now is investment and advisors, um, investment platforms and advisors to clients face even greater pain because digital solutions are growing so rapidly. 
So for us, in five years, every investment platform will be offering a cash solution. So in the same way that currently your, your investment assets are moved around very easily, your cash should also be. And we think it's been a totally neglected area for too long, and that's going to change. We've also seen even the FCA and the PRA came out with um, a, a dear CEO letter written to all the banks around deposit platforms, because what they are saying is they want to encourage innovation, which obviously provides a better outcome for clients and consumers and businesses, and at the same time, ensure that there is you know, rigorous governance and strong conduct uh, across all, this all these type of firms, including ours, offering this innovation and benefits to clients. So you've mentioned digitization, obviously a huge topic. What are some of the other trends that you're seeing in financial services at the moment? So from our perspective, obviously, we're seeing open banking, which we've all known about for so long and has surpassed a, a couple of million uh, individuals and businesses, something like 50 percent of all small businesses are using some form of open banking. And we're transitioning into that beyond open banking towards open finance. So that really means using other sorts of data which we see um, other types of either investment data, insurance data, or even other types of open uh, API-based data that give clients the ability to manage their money. Um, and for us, that's really going to be transformational in terms of how the market changes and the benefits to clients. Really, we're almost, we don't have to worry about the money because stressing about money is a huge part of everyone's life. So being able to use the power of open finance is very transformational, whether it's in our space, which is all around savings, or whether it's in other spaces around payments and lending and so on. Um, and very important to us because we are a client-centric platform. So we look at what our clients need, our advisors need, our investment platform clients need, and having one view bringing together all of an individual's assets is going to, is part of the future with that one point of data consent and that really the benefits of fully embedded financial services. It's a utopia in a way. Do you think, though, that the kind of average man on the street understands what open banking is? And if they don't, does it really matter? <clears throat> it's a very interesting because I, I get asked this a lot on different panels and so on. And it's almost like open banking works very well when the consumer doesn't even know they are using it. Like, you know, when we turn on our tap or boil our kettle, we're not thinking about the plumbing or the electrics behind it. And open banking is one of those catalysts that enable us to make our lives easier in a similar way and eventually will become commoditized as a form of data. And it's obviously fundamental that that infrastructure must be safe and secure. And that's why you have the FCA involved in uh, open banking and overseeing any new entities who are coming on boarding with AIS and PIS permissions. Uh, clients must feel safe and secure. Uh, however, I think that it's really about the benefits to them rather than the underlying plumbing. Felicia, you co-founded Open 51, the Association of Women Delivering Open Finance. Why was it important to set up Open 51? So for me, I think what's very important is when we acknowledge how impacted 
women are in terms of financial services and the data that goes with it. So there've been a lot of research that show that when you look at data, there's this gender imbalance in decision-making in algorithms, which are disappear into almost like a black hole of decisions. And it lands up with an unfair decision around women, obviously also around minorities, but Open 51 for us was looking at data as it becomes more and more open, in particular in open finance, how can we ensure that women being 51% of the population are adequately represented? And we see this in so many um, you know, different areas where you know, lending decisions are impacted, um, even right down to credit cards and uh, life insurance and so on. And we want to ensure that, first of all, um, algorithms are updated to be fair. And I think we're going to see some EU legislation come out around that and the UK will follow to ensure that the, the, those, they are audited so that there are no biases. That's the one aspect. And the second for us is that there are many very senior women who are thought leaders in financial services and specialists around open banking and open data, and their voices are not adequately heard. So we found at Open 51 to represent <coughs> those women and the ideas and changes that we see coming throughout um, the sector. And that makes sense because, you know, we know that having diverse decision makers leads to diverse decisions. So um, by analogy, if you have a diverse group of people involved in open banking, one would hope that you will have diversity in open banking and open finance. Yes, exactly. And in all the decision making that comes out of that, because there's no reason for any discrimination from the algorithm, you know, any sort of algorithm. But what we have to acknowledge is that we come from a society which is very much um, male driven. And it may be entirely unintentional, you know, in terms of um, subconscious decision making. Uh, however, we can't have those unintended, unintended consequences embedded in algorithms, because that means my daughter in 20 years time will be impacted and we almost stand no chance of um, any change. And, and this has been obviously an issue that has been identified for a while. And part of the problem with, you know, particularly AI is, as you say, it's that black box, the fact that yeah. the information goes in, the data goes in, but then, you know, nobody can look in to see how the decision is made, particularly if it's proprietary and you get a decision at the other end. Do you think regulation is the answer? Do you think that's going to change things? Yeah, it's interesting. If you'd asked me five years ago, I would have said, no, meritocracy will prevail. You, you know, it will all work out well and everything, you know, people know the right thing to do. <laughs> and my views have changed quite significantly over the last five years because I have seen that we just have no progress in terms of diversity and the gender agenda, if you like to call it that. And because of that, I, I, I believe that we need some regulation. The other aspect that um, the reason I say that is because it is quite complex. I think it is an, uh, this is not a male female issue. This is a societal issue. Even women have got something, almost an unconditional bias, an un, you know, subconscious bias. Um, you know, towards men or against women. And so for something as complex as that, the solution, whether it needs to start when children are young 
or have checkpoints throughout schooling and education and initial years of your professional life. And if you're going an entrepreneurial journey or a journey into the C-suite, having those checkpoints again, for me, that because it's so complex, that means you've got to have some sort of policy, legal, regulatory intervention. And to prompt that change. Because I have seen over the last five years so many initiatives, so many reports being written, and yet no change. <laughs> so, well, and, and in fact, not just that, but, you know, the, the COVID pandemic um, has, has put things backwards, hasn't it? It has exacerbated the inequalities between women and men due to a combination of the fact that women have done, you know, have got the majority of caregiving and obviously they've had to do a lot more of that during the pandemic. But also, you know, women have well, predominantly or, or a large proportion of women work in the industries that have been hit the hardest by the pandemic. So, you know, it's it's made things more unequal. And how are we going to catch up um, when we weren't even where we wanted to be in the first place? Yeah, exactly. So I think that you, you and I don't think that's going to change in terms of women, roles of caretaking, the impact in terms of jobs and so on. So all, all of that, we have to be able to challenge it and say, if, we, if what we've been doing hasn't worked, why would we just continue doing what we've what we've been doing all along? And do you think closing the gender data gap will increase the number of female founders or the the number of female investors as you know more uh, women get more access to debt or more access to um, financial products? No. <laughs> I think also that requires some careful uh, policy considerations because again it's quite complex why are there fewer female founders why do fewer female founders become um, funded and at the end of the day i'll be honest i just think it's about investment so either you're going to invest or you're not you're not going to issue a research report about investment if you yourselves have funds to deploy and for me that invest uh, the investment really should start from every single stage you know, from that angel, the seed stage, and there needs to be different aspects of the chain. Like why, for instance, do sovereign wealth fund not make certain demands relating to the underlying investments and the founders, whether they're minorities or women or whatever the case may be? Why doesn't that happen? Uh, so it's been quite interesting for me. And I've listened to a lot of very knowledgeable people and read a, um, about this topic of diversity generally. And I'm now more convinced than ever <laughs> that we need a very high level, um, serious policy response, which, you know, pushes the, that change. Like I, I remember a month ago, I read a report, a UK report saying, women now have proven to have the same access as men to finance. And on the same day, a report came out of the EU saying, um, if you're a female founder, fat chance of raising money from an EU venture capital firm. And I was like, very interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> These two, they totally contradict each other. <laughs> and wow. So, yeah. And, and this is sort of what you do. So I think the, the fundraising is very similar uh, in a way to, in terms of the complexity, not for, that doesn't have the same solution. Um, but I think because it is so complex and the issues quite vast, which no one seems to be keen on changing. And I think COVID has made it worse, actually, for any um, minority or, you know, diverse founders, because people just withdraw to a point of lower risk. Lower risk tends to be, well, what I've always done, what I've always known, who I have always known. And that, again, is, you know, lands up impacting minority founders. 
you're obviously very passionate about, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, about about um, diversity, uh, about supporting other minority founders. Is that one of the things that prompted you to start Hive Founders? Yes, interesting. Myself and um, Andrea, we started Hive Founders together when we were just talking about general founder issues. And we said, oh, there must be others who have the same type of question. And we had this discussion that sometimes female founders don't want to raise questions if there's even one man in the room. So, it's, you know, that there's an embarrassment or something, it's something which stops women. And so we said, well, let's just have a breakfast get together. And then we did that for a few months and it grew. And then we had a few events, including one with yourselves at CMS, um, which really uh, for us, the purpose is to help and support early stage female founders to grow their businesses and get access to funding. I mean, we're totally voluntary run by a group of, you know, female founders. So really what what we put in is, is what we get out and, and we try and add as much value to our members as possible. Obviously we haven't met in the past year, but we've met a number of times virtually and held very specific sessions on issues that founders have had, like advisory boards and um, new term sheets and so on. Uh, and then as, and had general chats like, this is my problem. How can I crowdsource a solution? And I'll never forget, we had one um, session where one of the founders started crying. And I remember thinking, there's no ways that that person would have done that if there was a man there. <laughs> it's just, And it's a very strange thing. And of course, we all don't want the world to be that way. But that's the fact. <laughs> this is the world that we are in. So I think being able to encourage anyone who is a little bit more reticent or a little bit less supported than, say, the ma mainstream founders, I think is just fantastic. Anyone at all, anything we can do. And what's the the most kind of common question or the most uh, common problem that founders have have raised through the the Hive Founders community? What keeps coming up time and time again? Uh, first of all, fundraising. <laughs> any topic around fundraising. How can I get to investors? How do I value the company? Should I be giving my advisors shares in my company um, if they're raising money? How do I structure those shares? Um, how do I structure um, you know, paying uh, a tech team where I want to pay them in shares? You know, anything around that aspect, fundraising and value. That's, you know, and that is, I think, it's common to any founder. It's nothing to do with um, being a woman specifically. And it's just, we we have, a, I guess, a safe space. Uh, and I think everyone, you know, may access other networks as well. But we just provide more of a anytime. It's a very real-time group. So you can post. We have a Telegram group. You can post online. You can, you know, call or, you know, message any of us individually. We all share. Often members will just volunteer. Oh, I'm going to do a session on marketing. So marketing and digital marketing tends to come um, second to the whole fundraising and value journey and so on uh, in terms of topics that are covered, I would say. But it's always fundraising. <laughs> and I think that mirrors our experience as well. You know, the, yep. the conversations that we have through CMS Equip with founders, um, with, as you say, all founders, is the most common questions are around fundraising and those those really difficult questions around what do I give away, when do I give it away, and how do I, how do, I yeah. do it if I want to incentivize people is really difficult as well. Presumably, you also pick up a few tips along the way through High Founders. Are there, are there any, you know, great nuggets of advice that you have picked up through that community? Um, yeah, I think it's around balancing your resources 
and focusing on your priorities. And it's a very hard thing to do as a founder because you're involved in everything. And really, you know, like what's your job? Is your job mainly um, getting traction for the business, getting new clients? Is it getting more cash into the business on the investment side? Is it, in our case, we're a regulated firm and so we need a lot of support from either regulated firms or legal regulatory? Is it ensuring that your legal and regulatory structure is right? Because if you don't, then you won't get new clients and all those clients will, you know, fall over because it's not working well. Um, so, so I think for me, that is one of the key aspects about how to focus your time on priorities. And I would like to say I am still learning on that. You know, I I have a very good advisory board, a great co-founder and team, and uh, it's a constant reminder process about focusing on that. Well, when you crack that, if you'd like to let me know as well, that would that would be really helpful. <laughs> If you crack it before me, let me know as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. So Oconi was one of our really early members of CMS Equip and you've, yeah. um, Oconi, since kind of graduated off the programme. What did you get out of being an Equip member? Oh, we loved it, Katie. I mean, I still love it. I mean, I'm, I'm in a, a sort of a tangential, an invited kind of occasionally equipped member. Um, so for us, there's a couple of things. We are a heavily regulated firm. So for us, it's far beyond just a commercial shareholding agreement and working together with CMS. Um, we look in, in a lot of detail at the regulatory and legal structure around very innovative cash solutions because we straddle three regulatory environments, sometimes four. We are regulated under the payment services regulation, the PSRs. Our banks obviously have got conduct obligations under BICOBs. Our investment firms and our advisors are subject to ICOBs and a whole range of CAS regulations. And then some of our other firms have got their own, you know, client money, jurisdictional kind of issues. So being able to have a firm which really can cover off all of those components um, of the regulatory side and understanding the key aspect of innovation. So cash innovation, offering something new in a very traditional sector, you know, banking and investment management and being able to assure our partners around things like funds which are held um, under pensions. Yes, the cash component can be used. How can it be? Funds which are held under cash rules, funds which are held in general investment accounts under cash rules, under ISA rules. Um, so for me, it's that highly complex nature of working with legal and regulatory. And you're going to laugh, but I actually saw a, a tweet. Someone wrote, in fintech, everyone has underestimated the powerhouse that legal provide in the change. And it is something which I, I think that people often forget. We always focus on the tech R&D, but in our space, we are as heavy duty on the legal and regulatory R&D. And it's as critical to our solution. So, and that's what we get from CMS, <laughs> the powerhouse. Felicia, as part of our Lead Hers initiative, we're trying to encourage everyone that we um, deal with to commit to taking one positive action themselves, whether that's big or small, to support female founders. Um, and we really think personal accountability is the way forward. It's not just enough to talk about it, but actually, you know, you've got to take action yourself. So I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the what's the one positive action that you will take on to support female founders? And I say that in the context of you doing so much already. 
Well, for me, actually, on Hive Founders, we want to be able to, you know, restart in terms of meeting again in person so we can have a broader impact. And so that's something which I'd like to do. And obviously, if there's any volunteers out there who want to get involved with our Hive team, um, we want to be able to push that to grow further and support more women because we see there's even additional challenges as we are coming back into more mainstream ways of working. And we, you know, we want to help and provide solutions to that. But obviously, you know, we all have our day jobs and families. So having more help is only beneficial. That's my key focus over the next year in that respect. So a focus and a shout out. Yes. Well, I think, well, all that leaves me to say is thank you, Felicia, for joining us today. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great. Um, we've included links in the show notes from today's podcast to Oconee, Open51 and Hive Founders. And you can find more information on CMS Equip in the startup section of CMS Law. Mm-hmm.